Well, good morning, C4. We're so glad that you're joining us. I want to say again hello to many of you watching and listening online, wherever you might be today. Well, welcome to our summer series called Spiritual Practices. And as that video so powerfully demonstrated, there is a longing and a needing and a wanting in us for rhythm and grace that much of the time we don't have in our lives. Now, when many of you, whether you've done church for a while or not, hear the phrase spiritual practices or the harsher version, spiritual disciplines, or you hear people say the soul, some of you get elated immediately, others of you turn off, and many of you go, I want whatever that is, but you see, you have to become a monk or a nun to do this, and I don't have the time, or I'm married, so that's just not going to happen. But what we want to do this summer is actually dispel the myth in this church That spiritual practices are only for these giants of the faith who have all this time on their hands, who can sit under trees and hear God's voice immediately and understand the world. No, no, no. Spiritual practices were given for the church, for normal people to walk with God. This is an invitation this summer for freedom. This is an invitation for all of us to walk closer with the one we're all made in the image of. This is an invitation for joy. Let me remind you this morning of what our mission statement here is. Not our vision statement. It's the thing behind our vision statement. Our mission statement is to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But you've got to ask yourself the question because every church on earth basically has the same mission statement because it's rooted right in the words of Jesus. But here's the question that we're going to face this summer. Here's the question we need to wrestle to the ground. How do you truly become a fully devoted follower of Jesus? How does a normal person doing everyday life, going to Sobeys for groceries, dealing with kids, walking with friends, out at Jack Astor's, how do you in the middle of the bank or you're a stay-at-home parent or how do you as a doctor, a nurse, you fill in the blank. How do you become fully devoted in the rhythm called your life? How do you walk? How do we follow Jesus? How do you really get close to Jesus? How do you become like Jesus? How do you become conformed to Jesus? See, it's fine to say this all in church week after week, but the truth is most of us never truly change. Well, if this truly is our mission statement, If this is really why C4 exists in its core, and if this is the calling of Jesus himself, not only to our church, but every church on earth, we we need to stop then and look to the ultimate example of what it looks like to walk with God. And who did that? Well, Jesus. See, that's why we want to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the only person who walked with God perfectly in the first place. Now, I'm going to ask everyone to get out anything you've got, paper, pens, iPad, anything. Because this conversation today is going to set the precedent for the whole summer. And yes, you're going to have to take notes today. Even you who don't usually do this, get out your iPhone, get something out, an Android. Because today I'm going to share some things that are significant for our church and our whole walk. The first thing I want to say is this, and I'd like everyone to hear this so closely. Jesus is not only our Savior... And Jesus is not only our Lord, Jesus is also our model, together and individually, of what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of God. Let me say that again. Jesus is not just, if you're a Christian, your Savior this morning. 
Jesus is not just our Lord, our leader, our king, the one we get conformed to through obedience. Jesus actually is the example that we are supposed to imitate what it means to look like and follow God himself. But that brings up a problem. So let me share the story I shared when we did spiritual gifts. I was in grade eight. I was excited. I was committed to Jesus. I wore a cross bigger than myself. I had all every terrible Christian t-shirt ever produced. Don't do that, but I did. Because I had committed myself to Jesus. I was baptized in grade eight. I made the decision, yes, for Jesus. And so I went to my youth pastor and my youth leaders, and I was all excited. And I said to them, hey, where's the stuff? And they said, what stuff? You know, the stuff. They said, no, John, what stuff? And I said, you know, I read my Bible, and I see in the Gospels and everywhere else, like the stuff, like miracles and healing and tongues and visions of Jesus and mass conversions and baptisms. And Jesus walked with God the Father in such an unbelievable way. Why don't I see that in this church? What am I doing wrong? Well, they sat me down and were very excited that I was excited, that they were excited. And they said, breathe. And I did. And then they said, well, John, we're really excited, and yes, lots of good things are happening, and you got to just lower your expectations, because here's the deal. Uh, Jesus was God, and we've got news for you. You're not. So things are going to happen, but you need to change your expectations. So I went away really confused from that conversation, because I thought God was the same yesterday, today, and forever, and yet you're telling me it doesn't work that way. So I was faithful and I continued and read my Bible and we did church and lots of really good things happened. But the stuff, the intimacy, the power, the walking, it did not happen. And I was like, what is going wrong? And then as I continued to listen, I realized that some of my leaders, though faithful and good and great people, were wrong on this one. Because when I started listening deeply To the scriptures, Jesus told me something that they didn't say. See, they told me Jesus is God, amen to that. I'm not God, so I cannot do the things that Jesus did. And oh, by the way, neither can any of you. But then I read Jesus, and Jesus starts saying very interesting things that changed my mind. Especially in the book of John, John 5, 19, Jesus gave them an answer very truly. I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself, nothing He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. I was confused by this, but I thought Jesus was God. What do you mean he can do nothing by himself? So I let that sit out there for a while and get it. And then I kept reading in John 14, 12, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth that anyone who has faith in me, anyone who meets me, uh, will do what I have been doing. He or she will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I went, so I or we together as the community get to do the same things Jesus has been doing or even greater things than Jesus? Jesus says, I do nothing except what I see the Father doing. What God does, I do. What the Father tells me to do, I do. So I started asking questions. Well, how did Jesus hear what he was called to do? And how did he see what the Father was doing when he was down here? And then, and then Jesus says almost like in the same breath, and oh, by the way, if you're my follower, you're going to end up doing the same things that I did. So what does that all mean? Well, to understand this whole summer series, we need to understand Jesus again who he was, what he did, and what specifically he was doing down here on earth, and then realize together as a community that we are invited into the actual same relationship that Jesus had with the Father we have with Jesus. So let me remind the church this morning of what I preached on when I did this spiritual gift series. 
And by the way, I need to say this, you'll understand this if you're part of us, this series this summer is going to end up being the sister series to our spiritual gift series. These two groups of sermons are DNA shaping, they are foundational to what we've already become as a church and where we're about to go. So let me preach this for the third time, and if you've heard it, good, you're going to hear it again. Philippians chapter 2, everyone flip over there. See, to understand the invitation that you as an individual and we together as the church have, not only did you have Jesus as Savior and leader, but also to imitate Jesus, you need to look at the model. Now, Paul in Philippians actually was in a church service like this 2,000 years ago and heard this song sung and he incorporated it into the scriptures. What I'm about to read to you was a worship song sung by our brothers and sisters in churches at the beginning. And he says this, look, your attitude should be the same of that as Christ Jesus. Sit with that for a moment. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now when Paul wrote down these words and they were sung, those five words, being in the very nature of God, are groundbreaking and changed the whole game. See, if you're not a Christian here this morning or you're genuinely seeking, listen closely because this is the core of the whole movement called Christianity. Paul starts with Jesus before the manger, before Christmas, in his preexistence. He says that Jesus was the form, the nature of God himself. This means that Jesus was equal with and is God. You can't have the nature of God and not be God, for there's only one in the universe that has that nature. There is only one who has the DNA of God, that is God himself, for there is only one God. This is not saying that Jesus was sort of like God, but not really God, or an angel that became God. This is saying that Jesus of Nazareth, born 2,000 years ago, that 33-year-old who was walking around Jerusalem, actually was our creator in flesh. Yet in the same breath that Paul says he is equal to, part of, one with God himself, in the same breath, then he says, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And you go, what? But this is fundamental to understanding this whole summer. This is fundamental for you to understand the invitation God has for every one of us into spiritual gifts and into spiritual practices. This is saying that Jesus, though he was fully God, chose not to grasp, be selfish, to hold on to the privilege, ready, and abilities he always had. He never stopped being God or became something else. He did not take advantage of his divinity while he was on earth. As another said, Jesus did not empty himself of anything. He simply emptied himself. He poured himself out. He became a servant. I love what Eugene Peterson did with this in the message. He translated it this way. Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. So the question is, how did Jesus still always being God, not cling to the advantages and use his divine power. Well, we see it in verse 7. He made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, he made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So God took on flesh, the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas. He lives a perfect life. He did amazing ministry. He walked with God the Father. He died a death we deserve, and then he overcame the grave. We sang about it this morning. The point of Paul here is his life was marked by humility and serving, even though he was equal to the Father and always was God. 
Well, what was the result? Well, verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we all say aloud, amen. All right, that's the heart of what we are. You have the full picture of Jesus Christ right there in his pre-existence, his incarnation, his life, his death on a cross, his ascension to heaven, his forever exaltation. There is a day coming that every human being that has died will face one person. His name is Jesus Christ and give an account. But between his birth, joy to the world, and his death, we begin to see what it meant for him not to cling to the advantages of being God. You see this in his life and his spiritual practices and his use of spiritual gifts. See, let me break this down. He did all of what he did, yes, to save us, yes, to die for us, yes, to become our Savior, yes, to become our Lord, yes, to begin to save all of creation, but he also did this to show us what it looks like to be fully devoted. He is the example for a normal, everyday follower of God to look to. So you've got Paul writing this unbelievable sort of heaven view experience of Jesus. Now, turn over to Luke 3. You've got a Bible. Just flip over there. Please, everyone, turn there. In Luke chapter 3, everything starts getting clear about how he did not cling to the advantages of being God, though being God, starting at his baptism. Luke 3.21. Yeah, this is one of these sermons. You're going to have to take some notes. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now just hold on, everyone hold on, because this is going to get clearer hopefully in a minute. When Jesus was baptized, heaven was opened. And by the way, why did Jesus have to get baptized? He didn't have any issues as our example. It was immediate, by the way, when heaven speaks. It's straight away. It's like he came out of the water and it's answered by heaven coming down. And heaven speaks. Heaven's will is now being done on earth like we prayed this morning. This is the answer to Isaiah's call 740 years earlier. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Now, it says that the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove. Now, this is really significant when you start reading your Bible. Here's why. In Genesis chapter 1, what happened? Anyone? What did God do? Anyone? Created the earth. He spoke, he created all things. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, that when there was darkness and void over the chaotic waters of nothingness, it said that the Spirit of God hovered. It's, it's, it's bird language. In Noah's time, when Noah had the experience of the flood, it says at the end of that experience, he sent out a what? Dove. And the dove came back to him with a little piece of, of, a, of a tree as a symbol that life is coming. See, what is happening is that the Spirit of God, once again, in bodily form like a dove, is declaring that a new creation is about to take place. Actually, the culmination of all of the Old Testament from Genesis 1 to the Noah story and forward is about to fast its complete meaning in this person named Jesus, right? And so what you've got now is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and the Spirit comes upon Jesus Christ and the Spirit comes on Jesus for two reasons. The first one is in the declaration. You are my Son, whom I love, 
With you I am well pleased. The Spirit is given to affirm Jesus. When that dove sat on Jesus, it was saying, okay, this man is God in flesh. This is the Messiah. His life is the deal. His death will be the deal. His resurrection's the real deal. His ascension is real. Heaven validates itself. So you have God in the full picture. God the Father in heaven, his voice. God the Son incarnate. God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, one in three, Holy Trinity, the God we worship in this church. But the second and most important thing for today and this summer is that the Holy Spirit was placed on Jesus, rested on Jesus. Ready, everyone? Take a look at me for a moment. To lead him and to empower him. The Spirit of God was given on Jesus to lead him and guide him to do God the Father's will. Think about it. Into this point in Jesus' life, he's 30 years old. He never healed anyone, cast out no demons. He did not teach with authority in public. Only once at 12 was he at the temple, but no one followed him. Yet right after the Holy Spirit let rests on him, that's when his ministry started. And then we begin to see how he walked with God. The third person of the Trinity empowers Jesus who was sent by the Father. Here's the uh uh-oh moment again for us who've grown up in church. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus by choice would not and could not have done everything he did. This is how Jesus did not grasp the privilege or power of deity. He only did what the Father wanted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not do ministry out of his own power, but out of the power of the Holy Spirit. See, my youth leader said, John, you will never cast out demons because you're not like Jesus. You'll never see healings in churches because we're not Jesus. You'll never walk with God the Father because he was God and you're not. But, oh, I'm sorry. The Bible says we who know him will do the same things and what? Greater. Because the same spirit that's upon us was upon him. And Jesus decided to show us what it looks like to walk with God by not grasping the power of his deity. Is this hitting home yet? This changes everything for a local church if it's believed. As one scholar wrote, when you read Philippians 2, that Jesus laid aside his divinity and worked totally as a human being on earth under the power of the Holy Spirit, changes everything. He did nothing to indicate to the world, including the people of his hometown, Nazareth, that he was in fact God incarnate till after his baptism. Functioning as a human being, being led by the Father under the power of the Holy Spirit, he then begins to set people free. So just listen to these verses afresh. Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Luke 14.4, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. When in this chapter, by the way, Jesus goes and he opens the scrolls of Isaiah to his hometown and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is now upon me. And he began to proclaim what he was about to do. So Jesus... While he was on earth, was not using his own power, but was surrendered under the lordship of the Father, under the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the shocking thing we learned a few years ago as a church. Jesus had spiritual gifts. 
Jesus had gifts of teaching and gifts of miracle. He had the Holy Spirit gift of healing and on and on. See, do you see the connection yet? If we have the same Holy Spirit and he gives us the same gifts, we can do the same things that Jesus did, right? Now, some of you are going, okay, John, you're not a heretic, I'm in. But John, thanks for the professor rabbit trail, spiritual practices, I thought the whole summer was... Why are you talking about gifts? Why aren't you talking about spiritual disciplines yet? Okay, here we go. Ready? These two things are two sides of one coin. Spiritual gifts and spiritual practices are the inner and outer life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Spiritual gifts and spiritual practices are the inner and outer life of a community that says to Jesus, we're all in this together. They are the glue in our relationship with God and it's how we serve others. So let me go back to Jesus as our model. John 5, 19, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. So now, everyone ready? When we walk with Jesus, we do nothing we can do. We only do what we see Jesus doing because what Jesus is doing is what the father is doing. We enter into a relationship with Jesus like Jesus enters into the relationship with the father. This is an invitation for normal, broken, everyday people to walk with God for real. Forget all the self-help books and all the spirituality garbage that's being written that you can buy at chapters or on Kobo. Forget it. This is the real deal, how to know spirituality, because God invites us to walk with him for real. So here's what begins to take place. Every time that Jesus is praying, he's getting permission on what to do. How does Jesus hear and learn and see what the Father is doing? Because remember, he's not working out of his divinity. He's not sitting there going, open the heavens, O Lord, and I will see what you're... Mm." No, he's functioning as a human being. Well, here's the answer. Jesus walked with the Father by using spiritual practices. Jesus used spiritual gifts to serve others, And he used spiritual practices to walk with God, be transformed, and... Behold. (laughs) All right. Spiritual disciplines allow us to walk in the presence of God. I love what Richard Foster said. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so he can transform us. I love what Dallas Willard wrote so long ago. Listen to this quote, please. My central claim is that we become like Christ by doing one thing following him in his overall style of life that he chose for himself. So what activities did Jesus practice? Well, solitude and silence and prayer and simple and sacrificial living, intense study, meditation on God's word and God's ways and serving others. He says, if you want to become like Jesus, you've got to actually embrace the the practices that Jesus practiced. Now, I would say to Dallas, that's true plus gifts, but that's a different conversation. Now, if there is a key verse you want to write down for the summer, here it is. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Write it down in 29 and 30, that whole ring. 
Come to me. The scriptures say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'm going to give you rest. Just, can everyone stop and look for a moment? What's the last word in verse 28? Say it loud. Who wants rest? Raise your hand. Oh my goodness, I do. I got three kids under six, capital R. Jesus says, if you come to me, I guarantee you, you will have rest. What? Guaranteed. And yet we're like, but I follow Jesus and I don't got the rest. Listen, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus says to everyday normal Christians, I guarantee you rest for the deepest part of you, your mind, your will, your emotions, your soul. I guarantee this, but there's one thing you must do. You gotta take on a yoke. Well, what's a yoke? A yoke is what you put on animals to lead them. Which means, oh, by the way, Jesus didn't come and say, I'm getting rid of all the yokes and you can do anything you want. No, no, you have to replace the yoke of sin, the yoke of dreams, the yoke of materialism, the yoke of education, the yoke of lost things. The lo- you fill in the blank, good, bad, or ugly, with my yoke. If you don't take my yoke on, you will be yoked to something else. <laughs> the belief in the West that we're all independent is just garbage. We all serve someone or something all the time. And Jesus says, if you take my yoke on, I guarantee you rest. Why? Because I am gentle and humble. I'm the type of master you want running your life because there's no problem in me and everyone else who's going to run your life, including you, has major issues. Just saying. He says, you come to me and you put on my yoke and I will give you rest for your souls. So here's the question. How do you take on Jesus's yoke? Oh, here it is, spiritual practices. Spiritual practices. As Jesus was yoked to the Father, we by the Spirit are yoked to Jesus. If you want rest and you want authentic Christianity and you want to walk in the power of God, you have to make the decision that you're going to stop fighting the one who already owns you. And that the yoke you're going to willingly take on and say, I am so desperate for real rest. I'm going to do anything. Put that yoke on. I want some freedom in my life. But there are four problems. There are four immediate problems that happened right in this church, right when I'm speaking this. Here's the first thing. We live in a culture of instant satisfaction. We live in a culture where we are upset. I was on the train. I was on Via the other day. And I did not get my download in 3.5 seconds. What is wrong with Via? What is wrong with this train? What is, don't you know it's my right to have Wi-Fi? It's a human rights issue. <laughs> right? I ordered my Big Mac 38 seconds ago. It took a minute. You want me to wait in some line? Do you not know who I am? Instant. The problem is we don't need deeper people in our culture in the sense of intellectual or or, or people that are more educated. We need deeper people in the sense of they actually know things take time. I hear that weightlifting takes time. As you can tell, I know nothing about that. But for my friends who are weightlifters, they tell me that weightlifting is an intense long-term experience where you are actually ripping muscle down and rebuilding it. And over time, you see, if I declare I shall have a six-pack, give me a pill, you'd all say, yeah, what are you smoking? Like, that's not happening. We want something now. That's why so many of you buy gym memberships and never go. You love the idea of it, but you don't want it. 
The only membership we're all buying is Costco, and that's not helping. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted one olive. Uh, yeah. 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 But we live in an instant satisfaction culture, and the problem is spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines takes a lifetime to walk with God. So if you want an amazing walk with God, and you say, yes, I want to be a follower of God through Jesus, guess what? It's going to cost you your life. Whose yoke do you want? Second problem is this. Some of us don't think we can and we don't want the practices. A lot of people say, you know, John, when you start talking about fasting and praying and all this other stuff, like that's for those people. You know, those weird people in the church who go, I heard God this week. Like, I'm not one of those people. I don't have time to meditate all day long and read my Bible for five hours a day. Don't you know I have kids and family and friends and I'm traveling? No, but see, you're missing it. These disciplines, these practices can be incorporated into any life. And oh, let me say, I'm so glad it was sung about, this is about joy, not about sadness. The goal of the disciplines or the practices is to connect with God on a real level and be changed. Instant satisfaction is one problem. Another problem, of course, is we're just... Not sure if we can do them or want them, but here's the next huge one, and write this one down, confusion. So many people end up believing this is how you get saved. If I fast enough, if I go to church enough, if I, if I sexually don't gratify myself for a period of time, if I do Lent really hard, if I give more money, if I go to church, then God is really going to like me. Look at me, God. Look how faithful I'm being. And the problem with that is lots of people think that by what we do, God finally sees us out of the seven billion and goes, oh, amazing person, I'm going to give them relationship. No, that's the lie of religion. Religion says you're saved by what you do. Christianity declares you're saved by who you know. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Undeserved mercy. It's not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by work, so nobody, nobody can boast. See, lots of you, especially who come from like a Roman Catholic background, or like, you're like, I'm so confused, I'm actually afraid of the disciplines, because I saw them practice all around me, but sometimes I thought that's how I met God. No, 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 you meet God by saying to Jesus, I need you and you alone. Salvation comes through Jesus alone, faith alone, grace alone, but after the wedding ring is on, that's when the practices kick in. It doesn't save you. It helps you to keep the marriage healthy. See, you talk to any marriage therapist, and they'll tell you something. They'll say, listen, if you want your marriage to survive, you got to keep dating your spouse after you're married. Anyone agree? Yeah, see? Uh-oh. Not, not a lot of dating going on in here. <laughs> you work so hard. You know, you go on dates. You do everything to impress the person you're trying to snatch. Hair. The whole thing. And then you're married like, eh, done. No, no, no. <laughs> Any marriage that's worth its weight in gold, longevity, beauty, you keep dating your spouse because you got to keep the love alive. So let me put this sort of in a crass way. Spiritual disciplines don't get you into the marriage, but they keep your relationship, your marriage with God, healthy, alive, and dynamic. So many of you are going, oh, I'm dry, I'm dry. I'm like, you spend no time with him. If you don't spend time... It's like saying, oh, you know, I really want to be in love with this person, but, you know, I text them once every six months. It's not going to work. <laughs> so we've got to understand that it doesn't get you into the salvation deal, but it really helps. And here's the last thing I want to say about this, and then I'm going to head towards the ending. Ready? It's this. Some of you who know that you're saved by grace alone turn these into the law. 
This becomes legalism and drudgery. Oh, I gotta fast. I gotta obey God. I gotta, uh, gotta pull up my bootstraps. No, see, don't you understand? It's not a checklist. Right when you start making spiritual disciplines and practices a checklist, you've already lost. Where, where does the desire come from to do what we're gonna talk about this summer? It comes from Psalm 63.1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. That's the heart of the disciplines. Psalm 84.2, my soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for you, the living God. See, that is the cry of someone who so longs to know God as Jesus knew the Father. They will do anything. And Jesus says, well, if you want to do this, you've got to enter into what I did. Jesus is the pattern for us together and personally. Remember, the Bible actually calls us the body of Christ. We, this local church and every other local church, is actually Jesus on earth. Everything Jesus did except being God, being our Savior and Lord, dying for the sins of the world, and speaking scriptures into existence, we all get to do. We are called into his life using the practices he used, and we're called together to use the gifts that the spirit that was on him gave him to serve the church and the world. Watch this. Our life with God is just like Jesus's. We're all baptized in the spirit when we become Christians, and we get relationship with the Father like Jesus had. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we're all baptized into one spirit in one body, whether Jew, Greek, slave-free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. Here's the point. Every one of you here today, myself, all of you watching online, all of you up there in the balcony, listen, every one of us, if you're a Christian, has the same Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus. As Jesus was baptized, so we are baptized in the same spirit. Here's the second thing. We're all called to ask God to produce the same character that Jesus had. And oh, what's that character? It's called the fruit of the what? Spirit. Where does this unnatural stuff come from? From another power source. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Here's the third thing. We're all called to walk in the same spiritual practices that Jesus used. It's here we're transformed. It's here we're going to find depth. It's here we're going to learn to hear God's voice, to be challenged, to move beyond surface. And notice, all the practices are open to all of us. Each Christian and we together, can, we're invited into these practices. We, we can become truly transformed over a long period of time. And lastly, we're all called to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit by using the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We together as this church will have all the gifts, all 21 of them. Yet personally, we may only have one or a few None of you will have all 21. By the way, if you show up and say you've got all 21, we're going to meet with you and, and hug you and kick you out. No, no, no. Uh, we're going to help you. See, there's that, that's the difference, by the way, between practices and gifts. The practices are open to all, but the gifts are sovereignly assigned by Jesus and his spirit to who he chooses. The result, though, is this. We can, as a church, never again declare we will never do or see what Jesus did because he's God and we're not. No, no. We, like Jesus, empowered by the same Holy Spirit, are given the Holy Spirit. He affirms we're all children of God and he leads us and he empowers us in the disciplines and gives us his gifts. Jesus laid aside the privilege of deity and was filled by the Holy Spirit and did the will of the Father. So when we are baptized by the Spirit and are filled, and this is the big end, and when we follow Jesus in his practices and know our spiritual gifts and they're undergirded by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we, like Jesus, will do greater things too. Whether you know it or not, if you're a Christian here today, you have the same access to the Father like Jesus did. We have the same Holy Spirit living on each one of us 
We have the same power that he had. We have the same character that he offered. They're offered to us. We have the same spiritual gifts that Jesus had. And we have the same opportunity to walk in the practices he walked in. Now here's the moment where I want you to write down this statement. So here it is. Everyone ready? This is the moment. Instagram and tweeting out. Ready? If spiritual gifts are the guaranteed place of power to serve, and they are. Let me say it again. If spiritual gifts are the guaranteed place of power to serve, if God gives you a spiritual gift, you better be using that gift. It's heaven sent, guaranteed power. Spiritual practices, if you are a Christian, that's the caveat. Spiritual practices, if you are a Christian, is a guaranteed place of transformation. If you don't want to say the same, and that's a big if, if you want to truly, will you live on this earth, be the answer to the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. If you want to not only have the title Christian, but you actually want to walk with the Father like Jesus did, if you want to see the world like God does, if you want to experience the power and the character and the beauty of Jesus, then the guaranteed place, if you're a Christian, a place of transformation are disciplines and practices. When we walk in them, as that definition said, it is the place we get transformed. So we're going to talk this summer about simplicity and confession and worship, and prayer, and fasting, and oh yes, I'm even going to preach on chastity. Let's go. Service, solitude, silence, celebration, secrecy, and study, to name a few. We're going to invite you into this. And why are we doing this? I just want to say it out of the video. Freedom and joy. This is not about drudgery. This is about freedom because when you walk with Jesus, you become like Jesus. And when you walk with Jesus, his yoke is gentle and humility is all around you. And you begin to see the world differently, walk in the world differently. You know the voice of God in a way you've never known before. And then the character of God grows in you. So you use spiritual gifts in the right way. See, this is ultra transformation. We get to walk with God. Is that not unbelievably amazing? unbelievably amazing. And so let me pray as we prepare to respond this way. Lord, thank you that Jesus is not only our Savior and our Lord, but Jesus is our model of what it looks like to walk properly with the one true only God. Our request, Holy Spirit, on this day, which is actually Pentecost today, in the calendar of the church, is that you would send the Holy Spirit afresh on C4 and are on every church around the world, and that you would empower us to know truth. You would empower us to confess sin. You would empower us to use our gifts that you've given us. And you'd empower us to walk in this way that Jesus did. Open this church's eyes to the great opportunity with intimacy with God and the power that comes from that. All glory be to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit forever and ever and ever. And everyone said, let's stand and worship that God we've just heard about today.